right, good morning. How's everybody doing? My name is Mike. I am super glad to be here with you guys today. Uh, as you can see, we're kicking off our series uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm super excited to, to dig into this with you. Um, today, we're going to be talking a lot about the good life. Okay? And when you hear that term, what comes to your mind? The good life. It might be a memory. It might be a snapshot in time. Maybe you're thinking about a certain moment. Or maybe it's something you're dreaming about in the future. We're going to come back to that in a second. But I want to share with you about a time that I think of when I think of the good life. Uh, my wife and I, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary a few years ago. And to celebrate, we booked a resort in Cancun, Mexico. And we ended up booking an all-inclusive. Uh, if you guys know what that is, this was our first and so far only all-inclusive experience. Uh, but it was amazing. See, what happens is you pay a lot more up front. You're paying for the food and everything up front. And then when you get there, the menu is literally at your disposal. So whenever you want food, whenever you want drink, it could be room service, it could be at the pool, it could be at the beach, in the restaurant. You could take three steaks and two chocolate cakes that go. Literally, literally everything is at your fingertips. And it was amazing. And it was a really busy season of life. My wife and I have three young kids. So we were able to get away and just enjoy each other's company, enjoy the sun, enjoy the beach, uh, and enjoy a lot of really good food. So that, that is what comes to my, li my mind when I think of the good life. So now, what I'd love for you guys to, is to think about the good life, what images come to mind. If you can turn around and share, just grab a few people around you. But if you were going to post something on social media that defined the good life, what picture would you be posting or what would you see? I'm going to give you a couple minutes to, to talk about it, and then we'll, we'll come back. All right. You guys were able to hear kind of what came to my mind. I would love to hear some of yours. So I'm going to pass the mic. If you guys want to throw your hand up, what images or what memory or what hope kind of came to mind when you think of the good life? When I think about the good life, I would say like city life. I like looking at nightlife. When I take pictures and stuff, I take a lot of pictures of like city life. So nightlife. Anybody else? Were you wait? Were you putting your hand up? Albany. Disneyland. Especially if a churro is involved, right? Is that drinking espresso out of the back of our car in the redwood forest? Yes, that is. <laughs> Shout out, Mr. Cheeps. Nice. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, we kind of talked about like being around family and friends and talking and laughing. And then Matt brought up nature, going hiking in nature. Yeah, connection, nature. Awesome. Well, awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. Truth be told, so my, the trip with my wife was great, but to be honest, I think I had some bad sashimi. I'll spare you the details. My stomach ended up not doing so good down the stretch. Not only that, we started missing our kids. We were missing community. And to be honest, I don't think we were created to just lay on the beach and eat whatever we wanted for eternity. 
So maybe it turns out that that's not quite the good life, but it was a really great vacation. It was a really great snapshot for us. But this morning, we're actually going to talk about Jesus and how he would define the good life. Before we do that, though, um, I want to do just a recap of where we're at in Matthew. And as we get to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're coming out of Matthew 4, going into Matthew 5. And, and just a reminder of the dynamics of the day is Israel was occupied by Rome. So they were being oppressed by the Roman Empire, right? They were heavy taxes. People of Israel were very poor. They were being mistreated. And a lot of them were just looking for how and why and when God was going to come and rescue them. They were looking for a Messiah, and they are wondering, when is the kingdom of God going to come? right? Um, and some of them had different reactions to it. There were some groups that were saying, hey, we need to overthrow Rome. We just need to take it by storm and overthrow them. Some were saying, hey, we're just going to camp out and flee to the hills and just wait for God to show up. Uh, some were saying, no, we actually need to obey the letter of the law, and that's why he hasn't come yet, is because we need to be more obedient. And then some were just saying, hey, we're going to just team up with the Romans. I'm just going to take advantage of it, and we'll just join them. But there were plenty of other people in that day who were common people who were suffering and mistreated and were looking to God to make things right and were just trying to be faithful in their normally, normal, everyday lives, right? And then Jesus comes on scene. He gets baptized in the Jordan River, and then he goes through the wilderness and is tempted. And then as Kevin taught last week, in Matthew 4, he came with this message. In uh, chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent meaning to turn, turn the direction that you're headed, and then the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this phrase is going to be really confusing if we believe heaven is just a place that we escape to, right? When we die and we go to these fluffy clouds, uh, once everything here is, is all done, right? Um, but what Jesus is talking about and how Kevin helped define it last time was heaven actually being where God rules and reigns. And Jesus was bringing this about in a fresh Way. It is places, not just a physical space that we go to, but places and spaces where God's will and ways were being done. And then who is Jesus talking to as we get to the Sermon on the Mount? You can see later in chapter 4, he calls four different fishermen to come, and he invites them to come follow him. Jesus goes throughout Galilee teaching, proclaiming good news. He's healing the sick. He's healing the demon-possessed. He's healing those who were on the margins of society and who had been pushed out. And so people started hearing about this, and all of a sudden, large crowds started gathering around being like, who is this Jesus guy? There's healing that's happening. He's proclaiming this thing, and I want to come and see what this is and what he's about. So this brings us to chapter 5. And so Jesus hadn't picked his 12 disciples yet. He hadn't chosen them yet. So when it says disciples, uh, I interpret that as people who are just following him, which at this point was quite a few people. So Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and we'll read it. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as you guys can see, in these 12 verses, we see the word blessed nine times. There's controversy between blessed or blessed. We talked about that earlier. Um, I won't take a poll right now, but um, what blessed means, it comes from a Greek word meaning makarios. And Macarius, I've seen a couple different translations to it. Some would say it's like a congratulatory thing, like, hey, wonderful news, congratulations, like this great thing just happened to you, like God's favor is on you. Uh, Another translation I've heard is actually, it's a statement about someone else that you would actually say, they have the good life. So when blessed are the poor in spirit, it'd be like saying, wow, the poor in spirit, they have the good life. Now, a few things that this is not— Um, in this passage, I don't think this is sarcasm, right? Jesus isn't looking at someone being like, oh, you're persecuted, super blessed, bro, right? I don't think Jesus was being sarcastic. It was also not a list of commands. I don't think this was all just a list of traits that we need to pursue. I don't think Jesus is telling us all like, hey, you need to become poor, or you need to cry more. Hey, you need to seek out persecution, right? This also wasn't Jesus just praying a blessing or hoping for blessing on a group of people. This was actually an announcement. This announcement was declaring good news. This was a reality of his kingdom. It was a statement that the people that are being described here are blessed and are living the good life. Now, uh, a few months ago, I was watching a baseball game at home, and my five-year-old at the time son uh, came and started watching the game with me. He really enjoyed it. And after, he said to me, he's like, Dad, I think baseball is my favorite sport. And I was like, oh, sweet, awesome. So I went and I bought some tickets to take him and his sister, Brinley, to the Diamondback game. So we went to the Diamondback game. We walk around the stadium. It was awesome. Uh, then we start to head to our seats. So we get on the escalator. Uh, if you guys have ever been to the Diamondback stadium, the escalator, that kind of goes up super high. And then we get to our section. And then the section, we get to the kind of the steep stairs where we have to walk up the stairs a little bit. And we get to our seats and, and sit down. And we were behind home plate. We are up pretty high. But we're behind home plate. So you could see the screen. You could see the whole field. And I was just like, man, this is going to be awesome. I brought, like, some mints and some candy that I could give to him every couple innings. We got money for popcorn. Dude, I thought my dad game was, like, dialed in, okay? And I was stoked. So we're enjoying the game, and then two innings into the game, Maddox, the one who loved baseball, turns to me, and what do you think he said? Dad, can we go home? And I'm like, buddy, the game just started, and we're on a pitch clock. Like, you don't even know what this was like before a pitch clock. But, dude, this is going well. The Diamondbacks are playing well. We're having a great time. I got snacks. What's going on? He's like, well, Dad, I thought we were going to be sitting down there. And I looked to where he's pointing, and he's pointing to the lower section right pretty much 
by the field, right? I think in watching baseball on TV, he thought he was going to have this up-close look and experience, but instead he felt super far away. Now, this didn't happen, but I don't know if you guys have ever been to, like, a basketball game. I've been to some, I think, college and professional, where they have, like, these two lazy boy seats, like, on the floor, pretty much. And they'll sometimes take two random people from the top and invite them to come down to the floor where they get free popcorn and drinks, and it was amazing, right? How excited do you think Maddox would have been if we would have been chosen for something like that? He would have been stoked, right? Because he was feeling so far away, so distant from the game, and then just to be brought close in it, he would have loved it, right? Well, in the same way, Jesus was giving an invitation to those who were lonely and lowly, those who were destitute, those who felt far away. They were experiencing the broken reality of life on a completely another level. But Jesus was inviting them, and inviting them first even, to be a part of his kingdom and what he was doing in the world. He was flipping everything upside down. He was announcing that the ones who were living this way were first in line to be blessed by his rule and reign, and they were invited to be part of this new thing that he was doing. Today, life might be beating you down. You might feel like an outcast. You might feel like you have no power or influence. You're just not important. Maybe you feel like you don't even know enough. Maybe you feel like you're far from God thinking, man, I did that one thing or I messed up in this way and God or his people would never welcome me back. But in this passage, we see God making an announcement, declaring, Jesus is making an announcement, declaring good news. You'll notice he did not give a 10-point thread on Twitter or he didn't record a five-part podcast saying, hey, here's how to suffer less in the Roman Empire right? He didn't give good advice. He gave them good news. And the good news was that he was offering his blessing to anyone and everyone who would turn to him. But this was especially good news for those who were poor or hurting or felt forgotten or were maybe being mistreated but were still acting out of compassion and mercy. But all were looking for God to make something right. This is who Jesus was starting his kingdom invitation and blessing with. He was particularly choosing to work through people not who felt like they were self-sufficient or that they had it all together, but those who were humble in heart, who were open-handed, who were turned towards God, looking to him to make things right. Now, we could literally do a nine- or ten-week series on this. Uh, This is, by the way, just an introduction. What we're covering today is an introduction to a bigger sermon or series of teachings, however you want to look at it, but that Matthew compiled. We could literally do ten weeks of this, but we're not doing that. We're covering it in one. So uh, what I would like to do is I'm going to go through and just read through some helpful definitions that were helpful to me. And as I'm reading it after, I'm going to have you guys turn back in those same groups. I'm going to have you answer the question, hey, what makes you cringe about this and what gives you hope? Okay. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, So sometimes we see this as translated as spiritually poor, but then I've read and heard some other things that they're saying, hey, no, this is actually just the poor people of the day, the material poor the social outcasts. Luke 6 also had this emphasis. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Those who are grieving due to loss or hard things happening. 
those who are meek. This one, I always grew up understanding this as like strength under control, which just makes you feel like, oh yeah, this person's just really strong because they have a lot of strength, but it's under control. But I've actually seen some other interpretations that are actually, no, this is talking about people who are just weak and unimportant and getting taken advantage of. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, not talking about right behavior, but justice is another word for this. Hungering for rightly relating with others or rightly relating with gods. And if you're hungry for something, it's because you're craving it and you don't currently have it. Blessed are the merciful, someone who's concerned for people in their need. Not being moved to callousness in situations, but actually compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart. Heart meaning being like the center of your being. And so when we talk about pure, you're not polluted at the core. Sometimes you feel like you may have to be corrupt to make it in this world, but this is someone who just accepts what is and they're able to enjoy life for what it is. The peacemakers. And when is peacemaking needed? When there's not peace. When there's not shalom. When there's brokenness. When there's conflict being persecuted because of righteousness' sake. Again, righteousness relating to justice or rightly relating to others. So this isn't, hey, they're picking on me because you're being hard to deal with, but it's actually because you are pursuing something good. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Again, not, not self-inflicted just because you're being a smart aleck, right, or mouthing off to someone, but when people insult you because of your commitment to following him. Um, so what I'm going to have you do is now that we've gone through this, if you could turn back in those same groups and answer these two questions. What about this makes you cringe? And then what gives you hope? All right. I would love to pass the mic so we can hear some of your reflections and, and observations, if, if any of you are willing to share. What about this passage makes you cringe and what gives you hope? Uh, we talked about like how the timeline here is kind of tough because it's like uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, it's not saying like uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. And so God's going to make the persecution stop right now. It's like, there's this kind of uh, nebulous concept of like, theirs is the kingdom in the future sometime probably. So I don't know. There's like tension there. Thanks. Anybody else? Oh, sorry. Apparently my eyesight isn't very good, sorry. I think the thing that makes me cringe the most is just the certainty of these things being reality for all of us at different times of mourning and being weak or being poor or being persecuted, well, okay, persecuted for doing things that are right you know, that's just, that's the way it will be in some ways. I was going to say, you just wanted to make me walk, didn't you? 
I have to say something as your father. Um, as a human, I want that blessing immediately, and I want it now. It's something you were saying, Jake. And then the 12th verse says, but heaven. I mean, it's more of a, a future and a hope and a promise for there. So we were talking about just wrestling with that human part that I do justice, and it's, it doesn't feel like I'm blessed, and other people aren't doing justice. And so that kind of spiritual battle. Awesome. Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, the meekness aspect, I think personally, I've always struggled with that, um, with it not having such negative connotations of silence and um, taking advantage of. But also um, something we talked about was like that others who are meek, like watching that happen um, and knowing yet that God's saying they will inherit the earth. Um, just holding the tension of like a, a social injustice or just being, again, t uh, watching a community or a person be taken advantage of and yet holding on to hope that that wrong will be righted. Thanks. Thank you. There is a big tension there, um, for sure. And I, I had to wrestle through it a lot preparing with this. Um, those who are being described have definitely experienced some sort of brokenness or trials or something not being right. And the requirements of entering and receiving the kingdom or experiencing the blessing or presence of God, though, was never about status or level of influence or position or wealth, right? But it was a posture of the heart. And with this announcement, Jesus is starting to write things that were wrong. But how can this be true? Like, how can Jesus say this is the good life, even in the midst of all these difficult things or these difficult circumstances? Like, that, that just doesn't settle well with me sometimes, right? And as I was thinking about this, I think sometimes the problem, at least for me, can be I begin to view the good life through the lens of either culture or idols, Idols meaning good things that I make ultimate things or created things that we then lift above the creator, right? And so for some example, if I value comfort and comfort is my vision of the good life, that might look like having the nicest house or the cars or whatever, and then when all of a sudden I become uncomfortable and things get stripped away, I'm going to get upset and I'm going to question God's goodness, or success. If I seek identity in my success at work or even success as a dad trying to give my family everything that, that they want or need, then all of a sudden when something doesn't work out and I just feel like an absolute failure, maybe I lose my sense of purpose. Or even approval. If I care way too much about what others think, and that's the good life, is if everyone just thinks the best about me, then maybe when it does come time to sharing my faith, I'm not going to because I don't want to offend someone or I don't want them to think less of me. Or even control. If my good life is seeking total control and having everything buttoned up the way that it should be, uh, then I am going to get angry or anxious when things are out of my control or I lose control. Now, these things aren't bad in of themselves, but when we elevate them above God himself and start to define the good life by these things, we are going to get disappointed if we don't get them. And if we do obtain them, we find out it doesn't fulfill us for long. 
And so my hope, though, is that we can actually submit to Jesus' version of the good life, and that gives us implications for both the present and the future. And in the future, most of these promises are forward-facing, like you guys mentioned, right? So if we looked, like, they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. A lot of these are future-facing promises that are connected to being reconciled with God because he's healing a broken world the way that God originally intended it to be. Right? And that we see this in the true story, and we understand that as we look at Scripture as one big story, how God created the world. He created it good. He created mankind to partner with them and for humans to flourish. But at one point, mankind chose to rebel against God and choose their own version of the good life, right? And that brought in sin and brokenness and just all the things that you guys are describing and thinking about and wrestling through. Things are not right, and they're not the way that they're intended to be. But guys, this is good news. As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, the son of God, took on flesh. He has moved towards us. He's entered into the mess and is giving of himself to right the things that had gone wrong. He's doing it not just for us personally, but on a universal scale. He is going to make all things new. He is going to restore everything. So even when we encounter tough things in life, we understand we have a hope. We have a blessing beyond what we even see or experience in front of us because we are in a story so much bigger than just ourselves or the situation that we see or that we're facing. And all of these promises, if you think about it, are promises of the restoration we see in Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21, right? Where he's going to bring a new heaven and new earth. There's going to be no more weeping or crying. People will receive mercy. We will see God and be in his presence as his children. That gives us hope for the future. And one day he's going to bring healing to everyone who turned towards him. Okay? The other part, though, is there are implications in the present. So two of these, verse 3 and verse 10, says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? So a lot of these things are maybe things we get tastes of now that aren't going to be fully come to fruition yet. But he's saying theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom was currently theirs. They were being invited into this kingdom reality in the very presence And again, not something of heaven that you escape to in the future, but it's a reality right now where you submit to the rule and reign of God and experience the blessing that's attached to that. Now, I know many of you have experienced really difficult things. You're going through difficult things, or you will go through difficult things, or be in community, or just even observe it from afar, right? Things like cancer, infertility, like death, broken relationships. Maybe it's even just dealing with a super difficult client at work. Or maybe MC is just in a really hard season. It's not what you hoped or envisioned. And yes, we have future hope, but sometimes stuff in the present is still really hard. And you know this as you yourselves might be mourning and grieving and crying out to God and wondering when he's going to make things right. Know that Jesus does care for you. And the blessing isn't just in the future. It's now. Jesus, the same one in Matthew 1, Emmanuel, God with us, right? And then in Matthew 28, at the end of this book where he says to his disciples, hey, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. God is with you even in the hard thing. Um, 
almost 10 years ago, my wife and I were living in Thailand, and we had some really great news. Uh, we were pregnant with our first child. We were stoked. Uh, we started dreaming of names, and we started telling our families about it, and we were just super excited. It was hard being away from family, but yeah, we were just excited dreaming of it. Um, and then we lost the baby. And that was super hard and painful for us. But I can tell you that there are three things that God had done that we saw his goodness even in the midst of that pain and sadness. Even when we felt very distant from family and people that we had been in community with for years, um, one was we definitely felt God's presence and comfort in the pain. It didn't go away. Like the thing didn't go away, Jake, like what you mentioned, right? Sometimes the hard thing doesn't go away, but Jesus is with us in the thing. The second is he can use these tough moments to then form us. I feel like my wife and I developed more compassion for people who are experiencing pain. We had experienced pain. We were craving for goodness, and now we had more compassion for those who are going through similar things, right? And then the last one is is God just used others to comfort us. We were actually able to even form closer community with people over there, and we just felt the love and blessing and presence of God in the midst of that because of how we used others. And that's why community is so important. That's why gathering is so important. Um, When we show up, when we can listen to one another, when we can speak good news, when we can receive good news, when we can serve one another, and that when we are going through the hard times, not to say, hey, the hard, we're not belittling the hard thing didn't happen, that the hard thing is happening, but we can remind ourselves of what is true and what is good and what is going to come, and that one day he is going to restore all things, and he will make everything new, and then even in this hard thing, he can use it for good, and he is with you. So I truly believe that God works through these tough things, both in the present and in the future. Jesus isn't the friend who says, hey, I will help you move in June. In the middle of June, the day comes, you move all the stuff, and then he shows up when the pizza party's there, right? Like, that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to meet you on the other side of this thing. Like, you get through it, and I'll meet you on the other side. No, Jesus is with us in it. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. The leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The blessed life is a life turned towards God regardless of whatever circumstances that we're facing. Living the good life is a life that follows Jesus and submits to his reign and rule because he is the good one and we can have confidence in him. And this can be lived out whether you're the CEO of a very successful restaurant chain or you're the one doing the dishes. Everyone is invited to it, but it requires a humble heart. It requires craving things of God, not things that this world has to offer or lifts up like influence or status or wealth, but craving the things of God like peace and mercy and justice, rightly relating with God and others. This, guys, this is the good life. And then lastly, this is an announcement that requires a response. Um, Because the good life is never just about us. Um, We are actually called to do this with and for others. So one cool thing that Matthew does here is he actually kind of mirrors 
Moses and Jesus and their journeys, and he's kind of uh, holding up Jesus as a greater Moses, a greater teacher, and a greater prophet. So both came out of Egypt through water and wilderness. They arrived at the border of the promised land. Um, They reminded the people about God's rescue and then gave them a covenant or a promise, an agreement between two parties, and then was encouraging them to be faithful. Right? And under this covenant with God, Israel was supposed to be a unique people who followed the ways of God and that they would then display the wisdom and justice and goodness and mercy of God to all the nations. We are also meant to do this. We are meant to represent his kingdom and bring this kingdom to both our neighbors and all the nations, right? We are, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to call it the new covenant, but he's going to, and we'll unpack this more in the future, but basically lift up mercy and justice and rightly relating with God and others. It is a life that's meant to be lived with God and for the sake of others, and he empowers us to do it with his very spirit. Okay, I got three quick ways that I hope this can shape us, three calls to action, and then one specific practice. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Guys, good news. Jesus has invited all to follow him and be a part of his kingdom, even the ones that are furthest on the margins, even the ones that are experiencing the most difficult things, they have been invited. The good life can be anyone's. They just need to turn to him. Good news, Jesus is writing things that had gone wrong, both now and in the future. He will do it completely. Good news, we're invited into a story that's greater than our own, that we get to live with and for the sake of others. And because of that, because of what he has done, and because of what he will do, I truly believe we will always have reason to praise because he is worthy and he is good. My second call to action is I hope we can redefine the good life. Are we going to let culture and the world define it, or are we going to let Jesus define it? And again, defining it by those who submit to his good rule and reign in their lives. It's not easy but it's so good because he's good. And then last, I hope we respond to his invitation to a greater story. Um, This is something, this invitation is given. It's not earned, right? But it does require a response. If Maddox, Brindley, and I were sitting in the very upper deck and we got this invitation to say, hey, you guys come on down to the front, front row seats, you know, it's yours. We, we have some options. We could ignore it. We could reject it to say, hey, oh, that's great. That's good news. I'm not going to take you up on it. Or we can do what they told us to do and follow down and meet them in this section, right? It's not something that we earned, but it does require a response. So even in this text and in the next couple chapters, Jesus is going to give us a lot to think about and a lot to respond to. And what should our response be today with this passage? Uh, Maybe it's, hey, maybe I want to live more for the sake of others. How can I seek those who are in need? Maybe where, where is justice required where I'm currently at? Maybe this announcement is even just encouraging you to be a more faithful presence 
to where you're at? How can I listen to people better? How can I speak good news? Maybe it's just being more bold and proclaiming or stepping out and loving your neighbor who may not know Jesus really well. Maybe your attention's caught up and often wanting to seek the attention of those who are really important, and now maybe you just want to shift your attention to those who are, who are on the outs. Ultimately, I'm going to ask you to, to pray to the Spirit, to ask how to respond, and that leads us to this one practice for this week. Um, we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount this month, and right now we're reading through the Beatitudes. This is section called the Beatitudes, one verse a day. So I believe right now we're on verse five. Um, so I just ask that you guys pause, read the verse for that day with the rest of us as a community. Think, how does this verse disrupt my thinking about the good life? And then pray, ask Jesus, Jesus, how should I respond? The good life was never just about us. It's not always easy. But living in a life that submits to the rule and reign of God is such a good life because he is a good God. And we aren't just following his commands, but his very life, his very actions. Because as Philippians 2 talks about, uh, he's the son of God who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? He embraced the flesh, taking the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death on a cross for us. So we might inherit life. So we might inherit goodness. We might inherit blessing. Jesus, if you notice, embodied all of these beatitudes perfectly. And so that's why we take the bread and the cup every week to remind ourselves of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. So you are welcome to the table. Uh, Deb and I will serve it, and then we'll take it together.